stand together. We welcome you to Christian Life Center. Can you say hallelujah? Can you say hallelujah? And Father, we realize the life that we journey on is not a perfect life. But we can say hallelujah because you never leave us or forsake us. You are a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And we realize that you are in our midst today. So give us eyes to see the glorious presence and love of God. Give us ears to hear that hope that you want to declare to us. Give us hearts uh, that will receive it and be changed by your presence. And God, give us a spirit that is open to worship you, who is so worthy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Welcome to the house of the Lord this morning. We're here to worship, amen. We're here to clap our hands. We're here to sing. So we're just going to do that together, amen. Let's put our hands together and worship our Lord and Savior, amen.
Hallelujah. There are so many different ways that we can exalt and honor the name of the Lord. And obviously, you have chosen one of those ways today together and to lift your voice in praise and worship. But we also honor and exalt that name when we trust him. When we realize the power in that name, so powerful that even the demons of hell tremble at the mention of that name. So powerful that when two people agree upon that name, miracles happen. And I'm going to ask the prayer team to take their place here in front and, and in front of the balcony. And this morning, if, if you have a need in your life, not only can God provide for that need, but you can honor him by trusting him. You can exalt that name by praying and agreeing together in that name. I believe in these next few moments we are going to see happen what always happens at prayer time. That signs and wonders will follow believers, those who trust in the name of Jesus. I said to them in first service, I can't imagine that this Sunday would be the first time that God refuses to answer prayer here at this prayer time. <laughs> no, this is not going to be a first. This is just going to be another moment for God to show you how much he loves you and how powerful he is. Trust that name. Trust that name. Hallelujah. You deserve the glory.
You may be seated as we continue to worship and praise his name. That's why we come to give him praise. Hallelujah.
Thank you, Orchestra. I hope that you will read your Sunday bulletin. During the summertime, the schedules change. There's a lot of different things and unique things that are taking place during the summertime. And one of those things is uh, advertised in the Sunday bulletin with a brochure on the International Food Festival. We are fortunate to be a church family that has over 24 languages spoken and I don't know how many different cultures, but when you get all those cultures together with all the international food, let me tell you, it is a lot of food, it is a lot of good food. And not only is it food, but it's a time of fellowship. But out of that comes something even more valuable than adding weight to our bodies and uh, uh, friends to our social life. It comes funds for missions because this event is sponsored by our men's ministry and they're raising money for their mission called Light for the Lost. So I trust that you'll make plans to join us. It is a unique time, one of the few times that our church family is able to get together in such a setting. Then you also note that next Sunday, there is only one service because of the 4th of July holiday. That is at 10 a.m. Turn to the person next to you and say, watch my lips, 10 a.m. If you come at 8.30, you're too early. If you come at 11, you are too late. One service. And the, there's going to be a great presentation entitled, The Truth is Marching On. And there are some major surprises that are going to take place here at 10 o'clock next Sunday morning. Don't miss it. And then, unless you have been in a coma for the last several weeks, you know that tonight at 7 o'clock, Carmen is going to be here at Christian Life Center. And uh, you've heard it on the radio. You've seen him as he's already in the area on uh, television. And he is excited about <clears throat> being here with us tonight. I would encourage you to be here early so that you get good parking places and obviously the better seats. The doors will open at 6.15. So we encourage you to be here. There will be a pre-concert that will go on, so it won't be like you have to sit here for 45 minutes doing nothing. So come and join us tonight. I encourage you now to take your copy of God's Word, and we're turning to the book of Genesis. And hopefully you won't have trouble finding that. If this is your first time to open a Bible, just start at the beginning. And we're going to look at this book of beginnings, and I want to focus our attention on from chapter 37 all the way actually to chapter 50 and I know some of you have just said oh no that's going to be a long sermon this morning 
Well, it is, but it could be worse. I could be preaching from Genesis to Revelation. <laughs> We're only going to go to the end of the book, starting at Genesis chapter 37 with verse number 1. It says, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. And it starts off talking about Joseph. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpha, and his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Verse 3, now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made him a richly ornamented robe and when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Verse 5, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while the sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And in verse 9 it says, He had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. At this time the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you have? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but the, his father kept the matter in his mind. Now, as we begin to look at the life of Joseph We've already learned that at this point in time, he was 17 years of age, a young teenager. So that explains some of his behavior with his brothers. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's one thing to tell them about your first dream, and they're going to bow down to you. But only a 17-year-old would tell them about the second one <laughs> and get them <clears throat> even hating him that much more. He was a shepherd. So we know that at this age, he was already working, taking care of the flocks. One of the things for those of you who study Scripture, perhaps you have looked at different typologies of the Old Testament compared to events and persons in the New Testament. And Joseph is a type of Christ. And it is a fabulous study, and uh, I, I will point some of that out this morning. Hopefully, we won't go down that path because it would take a long time. But he's also an example of the Christian journey, the life of a believer. And when we pick up this story here in chapter 37, we see the persecution of Joseph. And it comes out of the fact uh, it, that is mentioned in verse number 3. Jacob loved Joseph more than the others. It is obvious to everyone in the family that Joseph is the favorite son. And there is always some kind of negative consequences when parents have a favorite child. I, I want you to notice something about verse 4. This was not subtle. 
It says, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So it wasn't only something that was verbalized behind closed doors. You know, we think that <clears throat> Joseph might be the favorite of all of Jacob's son. No, they saw it. That means there were actions on the behalf of this father that literally set Joseph aside. And of course, one of those was this special decorated robe that was richly decorated, perhaps even with jewels that he gave to Joseph. And all of this caused his brothers to hate him. Three times in this passage, you probably notice it stated his brothers hated him. I want you to realize this morning that the Heavenly Father loves you. You are his favorite. You are his bride. In fact, in John 15, it says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And you are the apple of his eye. And when the world sees how much God loves you and how he is blessing you, they're not going to like you. In fact, Jesus says, the world has hated me, so get ready. They're going to hate you if you live like me, if you live up to that name Christian. And obviously in our culture and most cultures and countries around the world today, Christians are not hearing the world speak kindly of them. The church is under attack. There is an antichrist spirit in the world. And I think that if you know anything about what's happening in the world, that Christians are the least tolerated group in the world. We will tolerate all kinds of perverts and, and weird people and weird causes, but they do not tolerate Christians. Have you ever asked yourself why? I, I think it's because we remind them of Jesus the Jesus they have rejected, the Jesus who loved them and they have not received the love. I think when they see that we are <clears throat> those who are blessed by God because we follow him and we seek first his kingdom, that it reminds them that they are still under the curse of sin. When they hear us talk of it and get excited about heaven, they are forced to ponder the possibilities of hell for themselves. So they don't really like you because you're like Christ. They don't like to see that joy of eternal life because it only reminds them of their second death. But during the time of persecution, for each of us and even those of our church family who live in the Middle East and are arrested and persecuted on a daily basis, we see from the life of Joseph in verse 13 that, that God is there. And it's interesting what he'll do. He will literally send you to your enemies. And, and, and yet there are people who do not like Christ all around this world. And what's Christian Life Center do? We raise funds to send missionaries to those people who don't like us and don't like our Jesus to tell them that he can bring hope and eternal life to them. And that's what happened here. Look at verse 13 in Genesis chapter 37. Jacob said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come. 
I'm going to send you to them. Now, here are 11 brothers that hate Joseph, and his father says, I'm going to send you out there to live among that hatred. And notice his reply, very well. Joseph did not reject those who hated him. That's one of those parallels where he's a type of Christ because Christ's own rejected him, but he still loved them and dwelt among them as God in flesh. And notice in verse 18 what the brothers are doing. They're plotting to kill and destroy Joseph. Brothers, many of you have been a part of the family of God for a long, long time. And I am sure that there, you, if you have not experienced, you have observed that there are times, and even in the church family, when brothers and sisters don't get along. Thank God for the mature Christians, the peacemakers. And even among the brothers, there was one who was trying to, to get them to go down a different path. In verse 21, it says, Reuben, the oldest brother, he pled for the life of, of, of Joseph. Not so much because he liked Joseph. No, he hated him like the rest. But he was concerned about how the father would respond if they killed Joseph. And that's maturity. That, that's saying, man, I don't want to say anything against a brother and sister, and even if it's true in the body of Christ, because I don't want to hurt my heavenly Father. And so uh, the brothers came up with plan B. Notice verse 28. <laughs> they sold him as a slave for 20 shekels. You say, wow, how could they be so cruel? Come on, be honest. There was probably times when you would have sold your brother or sister for less. And then the brothers go and they lie about Joseph to the father. They take that robe that they hated because it had written all over it, favorite son. And they took it with blood all over it. Look at verse 33. Jacob recognized that. It's my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has been torn in pieces. It's amazing. The world never has a problem with lying, especially when it comes to lying against the church and the body of Christ and believers. They even lied about Jesus. And now the persecution motivated by the hatred turns into a plot. And the plot even broadens as he sold into Egypt. Through the persecution, the selling into slavery, God was always there, Jehovah Shammah. Go over now to the 39th chapter. And look at verse number two. The Lord was with Joseph, and even as a slave, even a long ways from his family. 
The Lord was with him, Emmanuel. He prospered and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. Verse 4 says, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his, attend his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted, it says there in verse 4, entrusted to his care everything he owned. Do you know anyone who is not related to you that you would entrust with everything you own? Especially someone as young as Joseph, still in his late teens. But even Potiphar saw there was something special about this young person. And it's ironic. Satan had just taken everything from him. His place in the family, his country, his culture, and now in a different culture, another country, God begins to give back to him. Hallelujah. Let me promise you, Satan cannot take anything from you that God cannot give back to you. We see that even in the life of Job. Got twice as much back. And God's blessing on Joseph caused Potiphar's house to be blessed. See, when God blesses you and when God blesses me, people around us are blessed. It happens all the time. The reason I believe that America ha has been the great nation that it has been since its birth is because we are a nation who trusted in God. And I use the past tense because we're going to lose that blessing if we don't get back to the God and the foundation we were, we were built upon. Unsaved husbands, I've seen it over and over, they're blessed by God, because God's blessing that godly woman they're married to. And so they get blessed. See, and the plot begins to thicken here in Egypt as Satan attempts to destroy Joseph again. Satan doesn't give up. He, he, he thought he had destroyed them when his brother sold him as a slave. But now he chooses someone else that's close to him. Notice, Satan uses those who are close to you, unfortunately. And I've often said the reason that people close to you can hurt you is because they're the only ones close enough to stab you in the back. And here he is in the house of Potiphar, and the wife of Potiphar, who he sees every day, becomes an instrument of Satan. He chooses to use a powerful woman to bring down Joseph. When 11 brothers couldn't do it, he says, I bet one woman can. Satan is not dumb. He used Eve. And, and we see how he used Jezebel. And it says here that in verse 7, after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. You know, I, I don't want you to think that I'm saying that 
If Satan wants to do something, he uses a woman. I don't think any man is man enough or godly enough to argue the fact that women are just as spiritual as men, sometimes a lot more. But I think that one of the reasons, because I've looked at this, because I have seen in 33 years here where on occasion, two times that come to my mind right now, where God or Satan used women to try to hurt and to harm the body of Christ, this church family. And I think, God, why, why women? And, and I, I, I think there's two reasons. Number one is that women are a lot more verbal than men. And number two is that women are a lot more believable than men. You know, when you, you might expect a man to, to lie to you, but you don't expect your mother or your grandmother to lie to you. And, and so God, Satan uses this woman to try to bring him down, and she says, come to bed with me. Notice what his answer is. He doesn't even say, let me think about it. In verse 9, he says, no one is greater in this household than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Notice here, he, he's young, but he's smart enough to realize if he sins against his master, there's consequences. And if he sins against God, there is surely consequences. See, the devil's purpose when he tempts us is not necessarily just to get us to do this or that, but his purpose is to get us to sin against God who so loved us. And Satan doesn't give up easily. Look at verse 14. He keeps coming back. It says she spoke to Joseph day after day after day. He, he, she's giving him and propositioning him with the same thing. And day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be in her presence. Wow. He, he learned something that the New Testament tells us. You need to shun the very appearance. Avoid the very appearance of evil. So when she would come into a room, he would head out of that room. And when she would follow him, he'd go to another room. She, he avoided being in the same room with her. And let me tell you, my friend, you need to avoid certain places because certain places, the devil gets you in a corner. Now, I want you to notice something, verse 11. It says, one day he went into the house to attend his duties and none of the household servants were inside. What? All of a sudden, all of them took the day off? Since when did slaves get days off? Come on, the women have already figured this out. <laughs> she gave them the day off. In fact, she probably threatened them if they showed up. She wanted to be alone with Joseph. Now, she learned this from the devil because the devil works best when you and I are alone. He works best in secret. When you're alone, sir, at that computer and you go places on the internet 
you would not go if your wife was standing there. The devil wants to get you alone. As he got Eve when she was alone, even in paradise. Look at here in chapter 39, continuing verse 12. She, Potiphar's wife, not the devil, she, the devil's instrument. Notice that the devil uses attractive instruments to cause us to fall. He uses things that are attractive to tempt us. Sin is usually always attractive. It's the consequences that are so ugly. And it says here, the devil used her, and she caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Verse 13 says, When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and run out of the house, she called to the household servants, Look, she said to them, This Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. So Joseph left, and she lied. You know, most of the plots of Satan include a lie because he is the father of lies. Eve was lied to. Joseph was lied about. They told lies about Jesus. They told lies about Paul. They told lies about Peter. They've told lies about any missionary pastor that has been in full-time ministry can tell you people have told lies about them. And so here we see that there is this persecution that comes from the family. He goes into Egypt as a slave. There is a plot against him by Potiphar's wife, and now he ends up in prison. And he's still a young man. Look at chapter 39. We see the prison experience. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. Verse 20, the place where king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, God's purposes were being fulfilled. See, when no matter where you are, no matter how deep and dark the valley you're walking through might be, God's purposes will prevail. And the Lord will not forsake you. Look at verse 21 of chapter 39. The Lord was with him. He showed Joseph kindness and, and he granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warrior. The warden, here, here he is in, in prison, surrounded with all kinds of criminals, just like Christ. But see, God can use you no matter where you are, even in prison. One of the greatest prison ministries in the history of the church, prison fellowship, was begun because there was a man who was in prison, Chuck Colson. Paul and Silas 
They were thrown in jail for being ministers. Did they stop ministering when they were in jail? No. They went into prison because they were ministers. They were ministers while they were there, and they were ministers when they left. Nothing changed. They did not let their environment change who they were and what God's purpose was for their life. And they began to praise God, and because of their ministry, even in that jail, other prisoners were saved. You know the story. Even the jailer in his household was baptized they turned a lemon into lemonade and that's exactly what happened to Joseph the warden made Joseph a leader he recognized, as Potiphar did, there's something special. This, this kid has some leadership skills, and then he's been trained by Potiphar himself in administration. So let's have him do some of the administrative work, and he becomes a leader. And that's exactly what God had ordained him to be. See, even in prison, God's purposes will prevail because Paul said it right on in Romans 8.28, we know, yes, we know that all things, all things work together for good to those that God loves and those he has called according to his purpose. Yes, his purposes will be accomplished. The prison experience continues as we go to chapter 40. There he meets a cupbearer and he ministers to him and the, and the cupbearer promises, when I get out, I'm going to put a good word in for you. And of course, that didn't happen. And then he ministers to the baker and unfortunately, the baker didn't get out. He was put to death. Look at Genesis chapter 40, verse 15. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of Hebrews and even here, I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Here Joseph was in prison for three years. And he says, I don't deserve this. I've never done anything wrong. In fact, I did what's right. And look where I ended up. See, we don't always deserve what unfolds in our lives. Christ... The beloved Son of God did not deserve to die between two thieves on a cross for my sin and your sin. But in the midst, God's purposes prevail. And in chapter 41, Joseph's time in prison is coming to a close, and God is working in, in the king's life, in Potiphar's life. He's working in Joseph's life. He's working to control the destiny of the nation of God and provide a place for his chosen people during a famine. So all things are working together. The king is being reminded there's a young man in prison that has been interpreting dreams and, and, and God has been preparing Joseph and humbling him to do the task that is set before him to save his people and provide a place of refuge during the famine. And as Pharaoh begins to have some dreams and he calls his wise men and they can't explain to him what these dreams mean. He remembers there's Joseph who had the gift of interpreting dreams. 
And he calls him forward and Joseph gives him the interpretation to his dreams and Joseph's happy and Joe is free, or the king is happy and Joe is free. Now, by this time, he had served 13 years as a slave and then three years in prison. And still as a young man, in spite of the persecution and the plot and the prison, now God has a divine position for him. The very purpose of him coming to Egypt is beginning to unfold because he goes from a slave and a prisoner now to the governor. Look at Genesis chapter 41, verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Joseph has humbled himself to accept the purposes and the plan of God even though they weren't working out the way that he thought. But when we humble ourselves, God will exalt us. And now Joseph at 30 years of age is seeing his divine purpose. Interesting. Remember I talked about the typologies. He's a type of Christ. Jesus began his public ministry at the same age. And both of them were positioned by God at 30 years of age for his purposes to prevail. See, the position that God places you in not only <clears throat> helps to accommodate his purpose for your life, but once you are placed in that position and you see his plan, it helps you to forget the pain and suffering of the past. You say, wow, that's a miracle in itself. Sometimes we know we're forgiven of things, but the pain and the suffering is still there. And, and, but God is capable of us forgetting that. Just uh, for those women here who have given birth to a child. I had the occasion of being in the hospital, and it seems like, especially after the birth of the first child, that young mother had no idea that she was gonna go what, through what she thought was the valley of the shadow of death <clears throat> to hear a child cry. And one of the things that comes out of the lip of 95% of them, Pastor Max, I am never having another kid. And a few months later, <laughs> Pastor Max, would you dedicate our second child? <laughs> See how, if a mother can forget the pain and the suffering of childbirth, God is able by his grace to help you to forget the pain and the suffering of your past. It happened miraculously for Joseph. You say, how do you know? Because he, he, he tells us, in Genesis chapter 41, look at verse 40, or 51. Chapter 41, verse 51. Joseph's firstborn child, and he named his firstborn Manasseh and said, 
It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Hallelujah. God has made me. He has made me forget all my troubles. Look at the next uh, verse, verse 52. The second child he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Hallelujah. We can plant wherever we're bloomed, whether it's in our homeland or in a foreign land like Egypt, whether it is in a palace or a prison, we can bring forth fruit of righteousness. And that's exactly what John is saying. I quoted part of it earlier in John chapter 15, verse 16. Jesus says, You have have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and I've ordained you that you would bring forth fruit, and that your fruit would remain. Even in times of suffering, our life as a Christian can have meaning and fulfillment. Look at chapter 42. It begins to reveal the usefulness of Joseph's God-given position now as governor. Because we hear in verse 10 that his brothers go to Egypt to buy grain because of the famine. They had no food. Their livestock was dying. And so they go to the resources of the great nation of Egypt. And when they appear, Joseph recognizes those brothers. They don't recognize him at this point. And he, he says, okay. They don't know who I am. And so he accuses them of being spies. Now remember, these are the guys, when he was just a teenager, messed with his life, sold him. So let's face it, a little bit of that human brotherly spirit comes out. You messed with me, now it's time for me to mess with you. Yeah. And he probably was thinking to himself, whatsoever a brother soweth, that shall he also reap. And you know the story. Joseph demanded that they bring their younger brother to him, and they must go back to their father's house, but to make sure they're going to come back, he says, you leave, you leave Simeon here. And the Bible says they go back to their father, Jacob. And in chapter 42, verse 36, it says, Their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. Here, this poor father, up in years now, he, he has lost two sons, and he's about to lose a third. And he says, God, everything is against me. Have you ever felt that way? <laughs> I have. <laughs> Too many times. But because I've felt that way, one of the things I've learned, when you feel that everything is against you, it means God is about to to do something big, really, really big. And his purpose is, are about to be fulfilled. Which brings us to the 43rd chapter. The brothers go back to Egypt for a second, to, to, a second time to bring Benjamin. 
And in chapter 43, verse 28, it says, Your servant, our father, is still alive and well. So they've come back. They're talking to Joseph. They're saying, Dad's alive and well. And then it says there in verse 28, don't miss it, they bowed low to pay him honor. The dream that you dreamed, you think it's never going to happen? What God showed you he wanted to do with your life, it seems like it's just not coming together the way it should. And you think that it's never going to happen? Ah, don't doubt in the darkness of prison what God has shown you in the light of his glory. Hear the very fulfillment of Joseph's dream. His brothers bowed low, verse 28, to pay him honor. Now let's skip to the end of the story. My time's running out. Chapter 45, we see the very purpose of the life of Joseph here. In verse 3 of chapter 45, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Wow, three words, and their world rocked. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. God has been with Joseph and he's been in control of his life all of these years. And now he and his brothers are about to have unveiled the purpose of all of it. Look at <clears throat> verse number five. And now do not be distressed, Joseph saying. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me. See the typology between Joseph and Christ? Christ said to those that crucified him, Father, forgive them, because he realized that it was their actions that caused his purpose to fulfill his mission on earth to save his people from their sins. And Joseph says this, you sold me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Hallelujah. God always goes ahead of us. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. For the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God has sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. In other words, what you did to abuse me is now becoming your salvation because God has a purpose in everything. See, now you're beginning to understand how the Israelites got into Egypt in the first place. It was a refuge provided by God during a great famine. Now notice there in chapter 45, verse 10. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, all of you, I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come 
Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. Verse 18, go down to 18. Now he says to his brothers, bring your father and bring your families back to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you can enjoy the fat of the land. Hallelujah. Only God. Only God. Not only am I not going to try to get revenge on you, my brothers, but I am going to give you the best of the land, and you are going to enjoy the fat of it. You are not just going to get some land that, that uh, nobody else wants, but I'm going to give you the very best. Doesn't that echo what Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, that our God will do exceedingly abundantly, immeasurably above what we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. God is going to give you the best because you are his bride. You are the apple of his eye. You are his chosen child. You are a part of the royal family and you will enjoy the fat of the land. Not any land, but the best land. Go to the end of the book. In verse 20 of chapter, or verse 18 of chapter 50, his brothers came and they threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But in verse 19 of chapter 50, Joseph says, don't be afraid. See, his love for them cast out their fear. I am in the place of God. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I don't know what's happening in your life, but I know that in a room with this many people, there are all kinds of situations most of them perhaps you don't even deserve. But God has a purpose. And what Satan means to destroy, to discourage, to depress you, God can turn it like that and cause good to come out of it. I, I want you to stand quietly and reverently. And I want to close this service in a, in a way to allow God